This is the Circle City News with attorney Mark Nicholson. I'm here with Allie, who is co-hosting with me today. It is Saturday, August 6, 2022. And she's going to talk to us a little bit about being a, a model and, and the signing of contracts. Uh, she's also in uh, school for political science and also getting her paralegal certificate. She's interning with me. She's been a co-host uh, of this show for, you know, almost since the, the new beginning of it anyway. And also uh, this is going to be her, I think, third semester interning with the law office of Martin Nicholson. Uh, she's been, she's very busy. It's always a pleasure for her uh, or always a pleasure for us to be able to spend time with her. I know she's very busy and she's very much in demand all across the world. She just came from a, a modeling um, uh, event in, in, in Europe and now she's back. Actually, I don't know where she is now. Where are you, Allie? I'm in Indianapolis. I'm back. Okay. All right. Back home. Okay. Yeah. I know she's usually there and sometimes she's in Virginia and everything. So she's just, she's just all over the globe. So Ali, once again, thank you very much for being here and thank you for applying and being interested in interning with uh, our office again. And I appreciate you being able to explain a little bit about uh, who you are and what got you into modeling. And, and then also, since this is Circle City News, where we discuss legal stuff, uh, talk about some of the legal things that, you know, people that are modeling have to kind of be aware about. Yeah. Thank you for having me again. Um, so I've always been interested in modeling and sort of the entertainment industry since I was little. I've done acting and I've modeled just a little bit of light work since I was younger. But what really got me into the full modeling part-time um, is what I do now. I Basically, I had a friend of a friend recommend this agency, Helen Wells, which I'm currently signed to. And before that, I was sort of just doing test shoots, which is when you and this photographer have an agreement to have a free shoot that benefits both of you, me for my portfolio and them for their portfolio. Um, but yeah, I've what really got me into it is just always just wanting to be in front of the camera, um, which is part of the reason that I still love like being on the podcast and everything, just talking, interacting with people. And so, yeah, I just shot with a photographer before and I got my portfolio fully set up and uh, even got a new wardrobe and everything, minimalized my outfits. It was down to every single detail um, for preparing for this. But um so how it goes is you, so you sign to this agency, you meet up with them first and, you know, they take your measurements, they look at your height, um, and you come with an initial, just few headshots just to see how you look in different angles, you know, like first you do like a side profile, like a 45 degree um, full body and then they want to meet with you in person just to see that that all aligns with your pictures so um, then they evaluate the type of modeling that you want to do so you could either do print or more commercial you know smiley like crest ads that would be like an example of that 
Um, and then more editorial would be like for Vogue or Runway, just more of those like working with that higher, um, those higher end companies. So for me, I've always been interested in both sides of it. Um, I just, the typically more commercial shoots pay better, but, um, then runway is just, you know, the, it's super honorable to work with these designers and everything. So I've always been interested in both and I'm five, nine. So I'm kind of right on the edge of runway where I'm, it's acceptable for me to do that as well. So I, you know, I sort of wanted to like get my foot in the door with that. And yeah, so Helen Wells was the agency that first got me into it. Um, I signed with them about a year and a half ago, and it's been amazing ever since. You know, it's a great agreement because it's not that I'm working for them or them they are working for me. It's very, like, mutual. So um, as long as I'm getting paid, they're getting paid. So they really want me to book jobs and everything, and they're going to sign people who – can book jobs for them. So yeah, it was, it was really good. I initially had just come into the office and done my walk for them. And they contacted me about two days later or so, and then asked to sign me. And so ever since then, I signed a contract. That initial contract was, I believe, a five-year contract. And then, um, through working with them my first year was more so just a bunch of test shoots to build up my portfolio um so that I could just get comfortable in front of the camera and see how I functioned better just you know it was sort of just like that build up process so then for the next year where I could book more jobs and everything my first job was uh with finish line and then um that was just sort of like e-com and everything. And then I, my most recent job was, it was like walking for sacks. So that was, it was pretty interesting how like coming from like some sort of like a commercial shoot to more of like runway, which is something that I was really, really interested in. So yeah. And then over that time, I, um, Helen Wells offered me to sign to H model management, which is, um, I had to sign another contract within that same agency, but that was a three-year contract to, um, basically help me get with booking agents and booking agents could be some like familiar names are IMG or one management select model management. They're just these bigger agencies that are worldwide, um, and yeah, so the goal is for you to not just have that mother agent, which would be Helen Wells for me, but to branch out and sign to other agencies so that, um, you know, it looks more appealing for just different businesses and companies to work with you when you're signed to say like Wilhelmina on top of your, um, already mother agency. So yeah, so I just signed that for three years, and then um, I had to sign that because I just attended the European Model Showcase, which was in based in Paris. It was, you know, the whole goal of that was to meet with all these different agents from Europe and a few from Asia. It was a great experience just to kind of, like, 
talk to everybody, see how the process went, you know, yeah, you just give, you give a comp card, which is, um, just basically a, like, it's like a paper, it's like a sheet of paper with like five different pictures of you and then your measurements, basic measurements in your name and how to contact you and all of that. So yeah, you just kind of give them your, you give them your comp card, you um, email them your portfolio, and you just talk to everybody. It's kind of like a networking thing. So yeah, we're still hearing back from everyone to see how it went. But now currently the focus is in the States, more of like the bigger cities, Chicago, New York, Miami, Los Angeles, just to see how that goes. So yeah, that's where we're at with that. But it's been definitely a process for anyone who is interested. I would just say like, you really need to commit to like the long-term aspect of it. So. Oh, all right. Now you talked about the contracts and, and you know, obviously, you know, when you're talking about contracts, there's laws that regard contracts. Uh-huh. So the first contract, it sounds like you mentioned was with Helen Wells. Yeah. And Helen Wells is not actually a a person. This is a agency, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, and it's a well well known agent agency for models in the Midwest that they've this agency's been around since like the eighties or something, right? Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry about that. Um, so the contract that you signed there, you said was for five years. Yeah. Okay. Now, when did you sign that one? Uh, I signed that in August, like uh, it, of last year. It was August twenty twenty. Oh, okay. So you've been there now for a couple of years. Yeah. Okay. Then you had to sign a new contract with this other company. Uh-huh. Is, and you just said you just signed that this year. Yeah, that was I signed that in probably December. Okay. Of last year. Yeah. So does that mean that you have now switched companies? Like what, like, you know, cause you're no longer with Helen Wells, you're with another company. Um, so basically it's to my understanding, it is that the focus is in H model management. It's still through Helen Wells, but, um, the focus is, that three-year contract and so then if they want to re-sign me through that contract that is up to them but then I would still have like two years left of the other one if in case I you know buy those three years that there's no progress or you know if it just if they don't want me in that again if i don't want to resign to that i can just stick to helen wells that helen wells. Oh, okay so. now what are some of the things that people that are signing these contracts should you know should look for like what's the language i mean do you have an attorney that goes over the contract or you just read it and just sign it and or yeah um you know if you definitely want to get into the specific details of it 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 really does focus on like your appearance, you know, you are working with each other. So 
they do kind of have a right to know if you're changing your appearance in a certain way, such as, like it mentions, like changing your hair or getting any piercings, any tattoos. Um, you know, if I really, really wanted to go and get a tattoo, for example, I would have to talk to um, the agency because it's sort of like a partnership. So, yeah, I can't really go and independently do that on my own since I am signed to this contract without, you know, some sort of an agreement. Okay. And then obviously if you violate the terms of the contract, then uh, is there a punishment? Like, do you get sued or, or? Um, because it is mostly working with like, well, I mean, they are pretty lenient, just like working with people in the entertainment industry and just like a younger, it's a younger audience. So they are thankfully super lenient. I'm sure like they have never mentioned anything, but it would be, they would probably sign you, like it would go back to Helen Wells instead of H model management because, um, I, like, I think it would be specifics too, you know, like it's just like the specific circumstance in which like they would do that. But my guess is that they would take you back to Helen Wells because, you know, when you sign to H model management, it's like, they are serious about you. Like they're focusing on you more. So, you know, they, um, give this specific contract to the people that they really, really want to get signed to booking agents. So they expect that you are really taking this with all seriousness yourself and not doing things to violate the terms. So, right. yeah. yeah, definitely understandable. And the kind of like they have to protect their investment, right. you know, if they're investing in you, um, they want to make sure that it's, it's not going to waste. Just like working for somebody, if you're working for a business, they want to make sure, you know, that you are a good employee. If they're investing all this training for you to do this and to do, you know, you to learn whatever, you know, if your system it is that you're trying to learn and they're training you, they want you to do that. And that's why some companies have non-compete clauses like, hey, you know, you can't go and make T-shirts at this other place because, uh, you've learned all this information about making, you know, these t-shirts at our business. And now you can't leave and go and create your own and things like that because the business is trying to protect it itself. And then, um, not specific to particularly your contract or business, but when people violate contracts, then, you know, one or the other party can get sued and people can get countersued mm -hmm. and things like that when there's violations of, of, of contracts. So definitely understand, understand that there's an obligation for both people to follow the terms of the contract. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been a process and it is nice, but you have to definitely, my, I guess, advice to anybody who is potentially looking into modeling or signing a contract like this is just really look at the terms because um, you need to know, number one, what you're like signing up for. And two, it's just they have like those specific details about your appearance that, um, you know, it may not seem like super drastic to you, 
but in front of a camera like everything shows up and they like these agents are really devoting themselves to you and their time so yeah it does matter. awesome oh thank you for for that piece of advice that to sum it up if you are signing any kind of contract you always kind of want to know the details and make sure this is something that you can abide by because if not it's just going to cause a bunch of confusion for you the people that are on the other side of the contract and then there's a lawsuit or some people go to arbitration because that's in the contract other than going to court. And this is not a good thing. So make sure before you sign a contract that you actually read the terms of the contract. And I know a lot of people when we're online and they have all those little disclaimers and all that kind of stuff like that, we tend to just go ahead and just click the box, click the box, click the box mm -hmm. and see some huge contract all these words, all the small print and asterisks and the numbers, and we just sign, but it is important to understand what you're signing. So that way you're not in violation of those terms. Yeah. Awesome. Now I would like to transition into another legal topic. Legal stuff is mistrial. Do you know what a mistrial is? Uh, Somewhat. Okay. What do you know? Uh, I don't know that I'm prepared to say everything correctly right now, but do you think it's okay? I'm, that's what I'm here for. So I'll correct you. Okay. Gently. Um, okay. So is it a mistrial when I don't know. I really, I really don't think that I could say it right now. Well, go ahead and give it a shot. Okay. So is it when somebody um, is assigned like uh, a court date and then they have to, they, for some reason they like don't show up and then they have to go again. Yeah. Correct. Very, very close. Okay. So um, part of what happens at a mistrial is it could be exactly that where a trial date is set mm -hmm. and the person doesn't show up to trial for various reasons, you know, because maybe they got sick, maybe they were in a car accident. Maybe they just don't even show up altogether. And it's like, Oh, we, you know, we have a mistrial. Maybe the trial's going and then the person gets COVID. Okay. Um, and now it's a mistrial because they, they can't be, you know, they can't come to court and things like that. There are various reasons why things can end in a, in a mistrial. Mm -hmm. And basically a mistrial is something that occurs during a trial where there's not a verdict. So if you think of a trial, there's usually some kind of verdict, right? Someone's guilty, not guilty, ruled in your favor, ruled against you. Well, in a mistrial, that means that there was not a verdict. Something happened. If something made it to where it could not go to a verdict. Mm -hmm. And those are some examples, kind of like what you gave, very close. Other types of examples of a mistrial can occur when someone does something intentionally or unintentionally that causes a mistrial. For example, if you're not supposed to um, say the word um, 
murder in this particular trial. Like just, oh, you know, you can't say the word, you know, murder or more specifically, let's say you can't mention that this person has mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Jury can't know he has mental health issues for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. I'm just making up these examples. And then someone, the witness, the opposing counsel, the prosecutor, whatever in particular case, oh, he has mental health issues. You shouldn't believe him, something like that. Well, at that point, the judge can then declare a mistrial. The One of the parties objects, say, judge, you said they couldn't say this. The judge can admonish the jury and say, look, disregard what the person said, or the judge can say, I'm declaring a mistrial. Mm-hmm. And then that happens. Now, it could be accidental, could be intentional. We also consider things that are called evidentiary harpoons, where the prosecutor or the witness says things that they know are improper that are going to basically cause a mistrial. Then you also have a situation where you can have a mistrial because there's not enough jurors. Not enough jurors because of a lot of them got struck from the jury panel. Maybe you start off with enough jurors and then a juror got sick or whatever or found out they could no longer do the trial family emergencies, whatever, and then they start dropping off. So in criminal cases, major felony, you have to have 12 jurors. And then if you don't have 12 jurors, that can cause a mistrial if you have less than 12. However, the Supreme Court of the United States has said you can try cases that with less than 12 jurors. Not necessarily a good idea, but you can do that. Now, There's other types of mistrials that can happen for various types of reasons. You know, the judge gets sick, the attorneys, all the kind of stuff like that. At the end of the day, what happens is the case gets reset for a trial again. One of the questions that I'm frequently asked, Allie, is, well, how many mistrials can there be? How many mistrials? And there can be technically as many as it takes to get to the trial. Obviously, it makes things harder when the parties have to retry the case, uh, sometimes depending on where the mistrial occurs, that the person may know the other side's story. If it, if the one side started presenting their case and then it started being a mistrial, then the other side kind of knows what they're going to say. If they both presented part of their case, they both know, so there may be less surprises. But mistrials are usually in in criminal cases, Okay, you back. I'm not sure what happened there. I'm not either. So I have to make sure to probably put these two together because they kind of broke up. Um, but another thing that can happen, you know, one of the questions, like I said, and I'll repeat that I get asked a lot is how many mistrials can a person have? There's not really a limit. And then I think in my experience, mistrials are more likely to happen in criminal cases. 
than they are in civil cases, but they can happen in criminal cases and civil as well. So do you have a little better understanding now yeah. of mistrials? Yeah, I that makes a lot more sense. Um, yeah, I was really curious as well about like the amount. And I guess like what is considered adequate enough for a mistrial like if it's if it the fault lies on um like the the jury like how when do you again have a mistrial like how is that rescheduled if like there say there aren't enough jurors so if there's not enough jurors then um what happens is the parties get together with the court look on the calendar for when it can they get together again sometimes it can be very difficult because of the issue concerning of the witnesses, the court calendar, if there's experts, the attorney's schedule, all that kind of stuff like that has a lot to do with when a case can be rescheduled. And so um, that's not really necessarily like, okay, well, it has to be rescheduled within a certain time unless it's a criminal case and the person files for a motion for it a fast and speedy trial, which I'll talk about on some other episode, but um, that way they have to try the case within like 70 days in Indiana. And then they would be on a time limit of when they could try the case. But in most cases, the people are trying to find a date that all the parties can get together and try the case and be prepared to try the case. Okay. Um, and then the other question that you kind of asked was, you know, what determines, you know, a mistrial. Right. Obviously, if you have, don't have enough jurors, that would be something. Uh, sometimes it's kind of up to the judge whether or not it's going to be a mistrial. Well, it's always really up to the judge if it's a mistrial, but it's just a judgment call in the sense of they said, you know, a word, a phrase that they w were not supposed to hear. Mm -hmm. And we just go with an admonishment to the jury and then that's it. We don't need to do anything else. Just give them admonishment. If it happens three or four times, maybe the judge is like, that's enough. It's happened three or four times. I'm declaring a mistrial. Uh, it could happen once and the judge declares a mistrial. If you find out that for whatever reason, the jury's been um, prejudiced by something in the news, the judge could give an admonishment or the judge can say, we're declaring a mistrial. So it's just one of those kind of things that's really up to the discretion of the court in most cases. If, if the part, I don't know what happened again, but if the person is um, not available because they got sick, that kind of example I gave there, that would be a reason that, you know, that the judge would, you know, basically have to declare a mistrial because the person is no longer there. Uh, all right. So it doesn't sound like I can hear you. Um, Okay. Okay. Can you hear me now? Okay. Perfect. And then I guess 
How does a double jeopardy play in this, play in a mistrial? Like, I guess, um, like, would there be a situation where they, like, coincide? Or? It is possible, yes, that in criminal cases, you can argue that it is double jeopardy to try the person again if the prosecutor intentionally cause a mistrial and what i mentioned about evidentiary harpoon you could say jeopardy attached he should not be tried again that the um, prosecutor has intentionally caused this mistrial and and um, there should not be a retrial and then it's up to the judge to decide whether or not to proceed with the second or third trial or however many times it's been a mistrial so double jeopardy definitely does apply uh, and basically, for people that don't know what double jeopardy is, in the United States, you really can't be held um, to accountable for the same crime twice. So if you get prosecuted for theft, then they cannot come back later and prosecute you again for theft. So if you have a trial for theft and the prosecutor intentionally causes a mistrial, you can argue that this was uh, double jeopardy for you to be tried again because they had their chance to try you and they messed it up by intentionally causing a mistrial and then uh, you would be barred from prosecution again on that particular case. And so uh, Indiana has a pretty strict standard or more uh, open standard, I guess, when it comes to the idea of double jeopardy than the federal. And once again, that's something that will have to save for another episode to talk about the standard of double jeopardy in Indiana. Interesting. Yeah. It's, it's always right. good. Any other questions? Uh, no, I think that's it about that. It's just always good to learn more about just legal terms. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Allie, it's been great seeing you again. I'm glad you're doing well. Congratulations on your, your contract and all the work that you're doing uh, across the world. And I look forward to seeing you in the office soon. Yes, thank you for me. You're welcome.